Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If what you're doing is for God, and that's your sincere intent, this is a work for God, then nothing that anyone says, not even yourself, matters. Let nobody mock you when you are doing something for the Lord. I'm doing this for God. This is a work for God. This is I'm offering this in service to the Lord. Whatever that might be, however insignificant it may seem, don't allow anyone to mock that. As Christians in our current culture, it can be hard to maintain a heart of doing everything for God. In today's message, Pastor Bill wants to encourage you to give your all to God in everything you do. No matter how easy it may seem to give yourself the glory, keep turning to Him and give Him all of the praise. Even when people are mocking and laughing or pitying you, never lose your heart for giving all the glory to Him. God is always by your side and loves nothing more than to see your service to Him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 as he begins his message, Shovel and Sword. I titled Nehemiah 4, I titled the chapter, The Shovel and the Sword. Um, The shovel being the instrument of work, uh, the sword obviously being the instrument of war. And we'll see in this chapter that a little bit of both. Um, For the benefit of those that weren't here when we started the book of Nehemiah, the man Nehemiah, um, he's a Jew. He's working for a a pagan king. He was a guy to taste the drink, uh, make sure they weren't poisoned so that the king would live. And he ended up in that position because God's children had been disobedient many years earlier, and God allowed them to be taken from their homeland, and they were in Babylon. They had been in Babylon for 70 years. God finally allowed them to come back home. If you guys remember the story, not everybody came back home. When they didn't have to be in Babylon anymore, and there was finally the opportunity for them to go back to Jerusalem, there was only a small percentage of them that decided to go back home. And when they got there, they first started to try to rebuild the temple. And who remembers how they felt when they started. Anybody remember? They were sad. They felt discouraged. Uh, They were looking at this little pitiful temple that they were building, comparing it to Solomon's magnificent temple. And they were like, oh man. And they were all discouraged in the work. And so um, there were few people and the work never really got done. They got started. They got discouraged. They kind of left it alone. Nehemiah is, he's essentially, he's made it out. If you're working for the king, you made it. You know, Nehemiah, didn't, you know, we would look at Nehemiah and say, man, he didn't, he got his George Jefferson on. He had moved on up. He's in the king's palace. He got the good job. He get to eat the good food. And Nehemiah is still concerned about his people. And so somebody came from Jerusalem. He said, how's it going back home? And when the guy told Nehemiah, he says, man, everything's a mess. The wall is in rubbles. Everything is just torn up. It said Nehemiah was grieved and he had three responses and I think they were all appropriate. The first response was an emotional response. He wept and that meant that he was touched. You know, he cared. Um, I don't know for you guys, I don't know how often you guys weep or what things touch you in that kind of way. But when he heard that things were still messed up at home, he wept. It touched him. The second response was a spiritual response. He prayed. Um, and I would just say this, an emotional response without a spiritual response, you might as well not respond at all. So if you're just going to feel and cry, that don't do nothing for nobody. Amen. Except for you, maybe. But so he cried, he wept. But then after he wept, he prayed. 
And that's where any work for God begins at that place right there. Um, he had a burden. His burden led him to pray. That was a spiritual response. And then the last thing we saw was that he went. He wept, he prayed, and then he went. And that was that's the practical response. He got up and he went and did something about it. When, for you guys that have been following along, when did the enemy take notice of him? At which response did the enemy jump in? Okay, as soon as he went. If you guys remember, if, you, if you're a note taker, in chapter 2, verse 9, it says that he went. And the very next verse, verse 10, as soon as Nehemiah put foot to floor to go to do the work, in chapter 2, verse 10, it said the enemy was very disturbed that somebody was seeking the well-being of Israel. Um, and so the enemy didn't care about his weeping. The enemy didn't move when he prayed. The enemy got upset when he did what? When he went. Remember that. Because everybody here, I'm, I'm called to do a work for God. I believe everybody's called to do a work for God in some way, shape, or form. When the warfare will pick up, when you will begin to experience the onslaught of the enemy is when you get going, when you get started, when the work gets moving. And so uh, in chapter 2, again, verse 10, the enemy was very disturbed. Then we saw some of the tactics of the enemy in chapter 2. If you remember in verse 19, uh, there were several things. First, the enemy laughed at them. Um, then they despised them and the work that they were doing. Then the enemy questioned them, what are you doing? And then they accused them. They said, man, are you going to rebel against the king? They accused him of starting a rebellion against the king, which in this culture you don't do. Because if the king believes you're starting a rebellion against him, then he's going to kill you. And all of those things were intended to get Nehemiah to stop. Did he stop? No, nope, because then we get to chapter 3. And for you guys that were here for chapter three, even though I jacked up all the messed up names, uh, we saw teamwork in chapter three. So chapter three, they were getting the work done. The walls were going up. It was a very productive chapter as the walls started going up. And so in chapter three, much progress was made through teamwork. And that's an important thing for us that are part of the body of Christ, that God hasn't called anybody to do it alone. Uh, God calls us to work together. Amen. And we'll see at the end of this chapter, there'll be different people with different jobs in different places doing different things, all got the same goal. And that's kind of what the church is like. We got different gifts, different responsibilities, different personalities, different kinds of people. Um, we'll all be doing different things, but we all got the same goal. Um, and so now moving into chapter four, uh, again, I titled the chapter, The Shovel and the Sword. Look at chapter four, verse one. It says, so it happened when Sam Ballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. And so Sam Ballard was one of the enemies. Something we're going to see a little bit later is that we keep seeing this, that the number of enemies increases. Um, and so first it was just Sam Ballard and Tobiah. Then it was Sam Ballard, Tobiah, and the Arabs. We're going to see he bring a gang gang with him. Now because the wall is going up and progress is being made, the enemy's like, man, we, we got to get deep. And they come with a whole lot of people. But first of all, the, the first enemy we, that we were introduced to, Sam Ballot, when he heard that they were succeeding, the walls were going up. It says that he was furious and very indignant. And I want you to note what he did. He mocked them. And I just want you to consider this because sometimes when we do something for the Lord, the enemy, that's one of his strategies, one of his tactics to mock you. Um, now, I believe that this can happen in your own head. Anybody ever had your own thoughts mock you? 
your own mind is like, you, what are you doing? You can't do that. Sometimes it's our own thoughts that we're contending with. We got to be careful because sometimes that's the enemy. Just, just there whispering, whispering sweet little nothings. They're not really sweet nothings, sour little nothings, if you will. Um, and we got to be able to, you know, the Bible says we're to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And so if the enemy mocks you, if your own thoughts mock you, if somebody fool enough to mock you, this is what you need to be confident of. If what you're doing is for God and that's your sincere intent, this is a work for God, then nothing that anyone says, not even yourself, matters. Let nobody mock you when you are doing something for the Lord. I'm doing this for God. This is a work for God. This is I'm offering this in service to the Lord, whatever that might be, however insignificant it may seem. Don't allow anyone to mock that because if God is receiving it, it doesn't matter if it seems insignificant compared to if it doesn't seem like you're doing it as well as are you doing it for the Lord? And if you are, don't receive that. Don't allow yourself or anybody else to mock you because it's one of the tactics and one of the strategies of the enemy. Um, now, here's the thing. Why does Satan mock him? Why does the enemy mock them? Because he wants them to stop. Um, in the same way, if you think about how little kids do each other or, you know, you, if kids, they'll make fun of each other. Um, they want you to feel bad. Maybe they want you to stop. Maybe they whatever the intent is behind it. Satan's intent when he mocks you is that you would quit, that you that you would that you would agree with what he says rather than what God says and stop. And at this point, because they're he's being mocked, but his conversations with God have been important at this point, because when he first felt the burden, he prayed. And then when the king said, hey, what do you need? What do you want? He prayed. Then he answered. So he's been getting direct connect from dad so far. And I believe that there's a strength to that, that I'm doing what I'm doing in obedience to God. So even if I look dumb doing it, doing it for God, God told me to do it. Right. God told me to preach. Now, if somebody thinks I look dumb preaching. If somebody says, well, you don't deserve to be preaching or you should be whatever um, to me. They all can shut up. <laughs> In Jesus' name, they can shut up. Right? I'm, this is what God called me to do, so I'm going to do it. Right? Now, there's some things that God haven't called me to, but this is what he's called me to do. He's called you to do something, too. And whatever that is, as you do it for your Lord, nobody mock. Don't hear it. Don't receive it. Don't even listen to the little voice in your own head. Tell that voice to shut up, too. Amen? In Jesus' name, you can tell the shut up. So, because God told you to do, as long as you're doing what God told you to do, everybody else can be quiet. All right, verse two now, because the enemy's not done. This whole chapter, we'll learn about how to deal with the enemy while we go to work. So, verse two, and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, so now Samballot got before his brethren, so he's with the other adversaries uh, to the Jews and I want you to know he got a whole army now, the army of Samaria. These are not friendly to the Jews. He got a whole army now. And he said this, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And I want you to note another strategy of the enemy to sow in questions, doubt. Remember when Satan went to Eve? He said, did God indeed say you couldn't eat of all the trees? And one of the ways that Satan comes, he comes with questions, but they're ill-intended questions. 
They're not innocent questions. They're not honest questions. They're ill-intended. They're questions that are intended to make you feel or think in a wrong way. And so here, as they ask these questions, um, these would be the same, you know, arguments probably in their own minds. They're saying, look, um, what are these feeble Jews doing? When he calls them feeble, he's saying they're weak. What are they doing? And what do we know about God? God takes the weak and does what? Confounds the wise, right? So you might actually be weak. It might be true. The enemy may come and say, what are you going to do? You're just that. You're just this. You're just true. But God says my strength, his strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. The position of strength for the child of God is weakness. It's when we think we're all that that we get into trouble, right? And so the position of strength for the believer is when we're weak and enemy may throw the, you're just weak. You're not enough. There's not enough of you guys. You can't. Yeah, that's true, 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 true. But me and God is a majority. Amen. And so it's what are these feeble Jews doing? Then the next question, will they fortify themselves? That's exactly what they're doing. They're building up the wall because without a wall, they were, you know, easy to attack. We're building the wall. The wall is going up. So they ask, will they fortify themselves? Are they going to they going to have protection now? Uh, as a matter of fact, they are. That's exactly what the intent was. Then it says, will they offer sacrifices? Understand that when the Jews at this time, Old Testament, when they were walking obediently with the Lord, they were to be offering sacrifice. That was part of the covenant they had with God. When they weren't offering sacrifices, they weren't honoring the covenant that they had with the Lord. And so part of the reason they were rebuilding the temple was to get back to being able to offer God sacrifices and have that right relationship with the Lord. And so they, they question, are they going to be able to do that? Are they going to, they're going to, you're going to offer sacrifice. You guys going to get back to doing everything again? And I want you just to know the enemy is just throwing all these questions. Um, will they revive the stone? He said, will they do it in a day? No, they're not going to be able to do it in a day, but they're going to do it in some days. Uh, we're going to be able to count the days from the time they started to the time they finished. It won't happen in one day, but it's going to get done as the days go by. And so, and then it says, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And we'll see later in the chapter that they have to take a moment because they are, there is rubbish that needs to be removed so they can rebuild with new stuff. And so they're asking legitimate questions that maybe if you were a Jew and you were working on the wall, you may be saying, man, are we? How are we going to rebuild? We look at all this rubbish down here. These may have been legitimate things that they were bringing up. And so, again, anybody here that's ever done a work for God, I've learned this in my time of walking with the Lord. God seems to always call us to do things that require us to walk by faith. That means I can't see how it will happen. And sometimes what I can see are the obstacles to what we're trying to do. I see the obstacles, too. And just like the enemy here is saying, what are you going to do about the rubbish? How are you going to rebuild with rubbish and burnt up walls that you may be looking at the thing saying, yeah, how are we going? We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough of this. You may be thinking the same thing. And none of that matters if God has said to build. If God has said to go, none of those none of those rebuttals or things matter. And so one thing I would encourage anybody here that's called to do a work for God is that you can't move forward to do a work for God thinking in a rational way. It has to be all faith. There has to come a place where, God, all I'm listening to is what you say. Because if I look at what's in front of me, I won't go. I won't do anything. I won't. If I crunch the numbers, it's not enough to start. So we're not going to start yet. If I count the people, they're not enough to start. So we're not going to go yet. Um, there's so many things that God has said do that when he said do it, it didn't really make sense. Uh, for you guys that were with us before we came to this building, uh, we had only ever had one service. And uh, to be honest, it was never 
you know, it was it was never quite, you know, it wasn't like we were packing out wherever we were, you know, whether we were in a school, it would, it would fluctuate, it would kind of go up and down, it would ebb and flow. And so, um, you know, when we came here, the Lord had put it on my heart right away to do two services. But the intent of the two services was that that we wouldn't because at the school, we only had one service. And so if somebody served in kids ministry, they didn't get to go to church that day. Um, if somebody served outside, they didn't get to go to church. So the goal of two services was that you could sit one, serve one so that we wouldn't wear people out by having them serve while they're not being nourished spiritually. But to be honest, as we got this place set up and it was 100 seats, we didn't have 100 people coming there. And so it's like, you can have two services? It'll be too lonely service. It's going to be sparse service. But that was not the call. The call wasn't for me to count the people. God was just saying, look, you, you want, I want people to be ministered to while they serve. That was the goal so that you're not wearing people out. And so that was the goal. But then I had that thought in my own mind. Then somebody said it to me and I was like, ah, oh, and I had to, I was fighting that, but I'm like, but I, I'm doing it because I wrote it when God said it and I'm doing it and I'm moving forward with it. And I know it's the right thing for the people, but it, it might, and I was like, yeah, it might look funny. You know, it may be 10 of y'all. God bless you. <laughs> Happy Sunday, y'all. <laughs> you know, like, why wouldn't we all just have one meeting? <laughs> all of, you know, so, I mean, there are times where if you took both services, both services would have easily fit into one service. And so there, you know, those are times when you look and the enemy can be like, why do you have two services? Uh, uh, again, you know, and, and you know, I have to put those things out and just so that they could serve and sit, dummy, you know, and go about my business. But, you know, but those kind of things will happen where the enemy will come and, your own thoughts, other people will say stuff. It becomes very important that we've heard from the Lord and that we're doing what we heard from the Lord, no matter what we see or what's been said. Amen. One thing we're learning here, does the enemy seem to have a lot to say? And he's just getting started. He's got a lot to say. So we got to be careful about listening to him um, and respond how we respond to the attack of the enemy. The enemy will attack while you're doing the work. Guaranteed. So we got to learn how do we respond that we don't get discouraged, that we don't stop. Because the goal is if I could just get you to stop. Satan is like, what do I have to say to get you to quit? That's the win for Satan. He cannot defeat us. We are victorious. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us already. So if Satan can convince you to quit, that's the win. I made you quit, but he can't beat you. So it's kind of like a fight, you know, if, if I don't know me, I mean, this may be rough for y'all, but if you imagine if you were going to fight somebody and God said, look, the only way you lose if you quit, as long as you keep pumping jabs, you win, you, but you got to fight, you know? So as long as you stay in the fight, I guarantee you a win. But if you turn tail, you're getting whooped, you know? Um, and, and that's kind of what it's like in a spiritual battle. If you look at the spiritual armor, there's nothing to protect your backside because you're not supposed to quit. You're not supposed to run. Everything is for the front feet shod. Those are cliques, you know? Belt, shield, you know, sword, helm. Everything is to protect you as you move forward. There's nothing to protect you. If you turn tail, you can get jabbed right in the back. Ain't nothing to protect your backside. So, because we're never supposed to turn tail, we're supposed to go forward. So moving on now, look at verse three. It says, uh, now Tobiah, the Ammonite, another enemy, was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So here the enemy is making fun of them in verse three. So um, he says, man, their wall is so weak that even if a fox, if you guys know foxes are like a kitty cat, you know, they're light, they're agile. It's not a heavy animal. But he said, man, that little wall they're building is so weak. If a fox goes on that wall, it'll fall down. 
ha, ha, ha. You just hear the enemy laughing with that, you know? And so we see the enemy here is making fun of them, making a mockery of them. Um, and again, if you're someone that maybe your feelings get hurt easy, um, it's important for us that are called to serve the Lord that we, we grow some thick skin. Um, because if all it takes, I believe that Satan is saying, man, what will it take to make you quit? If I make fun of you, will you quit? If I laugh at you, will you quit? What will it take to just make you quit? That's what he's looking for. Here, he's tried a lot of things. Um, we'll see later on, he doesn't stop. He threatens. He comes. He brings lots of people. He makes accusations. And there he's clowning. He's making fun of them. What do I got to do to get you to come up off that wall is what he wants to find out. Look at verse 4 and 5 now. It says, I want you to notice Nehemiah's response. The enemy has been in his ear. And I want you to note that he doesn't say anything back to the enemy. He goes straight to the Lord. Look at verse 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And I want you to note that Nehemiah made the issue. He didn't talk to the enemy. I wonder, too, if he prayed this out loud right in front of them. Like, I, he didn't, I don't can't tell you that he did that, but it tells us right here. The prayer is recorded. He said it out loud somewhere. Nehemiah goes straight to God, doesn't talk to the enemy. There's something important in this because it's been a fad of such in the Christian church where people are talking to the devil. And I want you to understand this. What is the simple definition of prayer? Prayer is what? Talking to God. So if am I talking to God, I stop talking to God and I start addressing the devil. Am I still praying? I'm not praying. Kind of, I'm praying to the devil. If talking to God is prayer, communicating with God is prayer. When you start communicating with the devil, you are praying to the devil. Is that what we're called to do? No, never at any time are we encouraged in the scriptures to pray to the devil, to talk to the devil. We talk to God. So there was a wonderful movie, War Room. It's a great movie. It's a wonderful Christian movie. Problem at the high point of the movie, the woman's in the kitchen. And I mean, this was the breakthrough moment, but it was like, theologically, it was a fail because she spent the whole time, devil, devil, I'm telling you devil and devil. And it, it looks good. It's theatrical, but it's like, that's a fail. Why are you talking to the devil? The power position for the believer is talking to the Lord. I want you to know that he doesn't talk to the enemy. He doesn't waste his breath on the enemy. He goes straight up to the Lord and he makes the issue. He said, God, look, they did this to you because I'm only out here in your name. I'm out here doing what you called me to do. And I'm out here representing you. And so when the enemy comes against me, he's really coming against you because I'm your representation. So you can only pray that and talk that way when you're serving God. But if you are serving God and the enemy comes against you, you can say, God, they are coming against you out here. I'm out here trying to do what you call me to do. And they come in and I want you to know this is not a nice prayer. He said, don't blot their sins out. Don't remove. Get them, God. Get them. I mean, I want them to pay for what they've done. Get them, get them, get them and get them good. And so um, that's what he prays. Essentially, like, God, no, don't blot this out. Don't let them slide with this. I want them to pay. I want to see it when it happens. I added that. But the important thing is this, that. The prayer is made to the Lord. And so even though we hear people doing it on TV and we hear people addressing the devil, I'm encouraging you guys, you won't find in Scripture that we're ever encouraged to do that. As a matter of fact, in Jude, we were told in Jude that even Michael, the archangel, who arguably 
uh, is up there. He didn't even address Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. We always want to keep the Lord in between us and the devil. Amen. Because the devil ain't afraid of you, but he is afraid of the Jesus in you. And so you want to keep the Lord in between you and the enemy. When I'm not addressing him directly, I got nothing to say to him. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us here today on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been making his way through the book of Nehemiah. Do you ever feel like every time you step into your calling, life gets really, really hard? Nehemiah knew what it was like. Partway through the work of rebuilding the wall, the people encountered opposition, and it became necessary to defend themselves while they worked. Nehemiah 4.21-23 says, So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Nehemiah faced a physical threat to the people, but you and I will face a spiritual one. A spiritual threat requires spiritual weapons, like prayer, praise, and worship. Don't forget to keep them at your right hand all the time. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Are you in the area? We'd love for you to come and see us this Sunday. We meet at 9 and 11 a.m. For the rest of the information you need, head over to CalvaryInglewood.org. Once again, that's CalvaryInglewood.org. And if you're not in the area, be sure to catch our live stream this Sunday. Thank you, and we'll see you again on A Transforming Word.